0: 1 Timothy 6, we're going to be looking at uh, uh, two separate sets of verses out of 1 Timothy 6 by way of introduction. We'll be looking at verse 9 and 10, and then we'll be looking at 17 through 19. We're preaching a series of sermons in August entitled, Are You Rich Toward God? Are You Rich Toward God? A lot of uh, financial wealth is focused on earthly wealth. We're, We're putting the attention... Uh, this uh, month on eternal wealth and not being necessarily just rich in this world, but being rich toward God Once you found first Timothy 6, let's stand again if we can We're going to read 9 and 10 and then we'll skip down and read 17 and 19 so i'll read 9 And then we'll read 10 together and then i'll read 17 and then we'll read 18 and 19 Together the bible says in verse 9 but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition together. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Look down at verse 17, I'll read. The Bible says, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Who giveth us richly all things to enjoy together, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Let's keep reading. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. The title of the sermon this morning is simply this, A Charge to Those Who Are Rich. A Charge to Those Who Are Rich. Now, Some of you have already decided you don't need the sermon, because you know how much money you don't have in the bank. All right, listen up. This is not just a sermon of those who are wealthy. This is also a sermon of those who wish to be wealthy, who are aspiring to be wealthy. If you are here today and your heart is to gain earthly wealth, then the sermon is just as much for you as to those who have already gained it. And I think that probably is most of us here. If uh, we had a sign-up sheet on the back table for anyone who wanted $10,000 extra in their bank account uh, later this week, I think everyone would put their name on that sign-up sheet. I don't think anyone's going to pass on a free $10,000, right? You might have some questions about what the uh, strings attached are, but if there were no strings attached, everyone would put their name on that sheet. And so I think the sermon today will apply to everyone. A charge to those who are rich. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you how the Word of God is just... Right where we live. Right where we live, week in and week out, day in and day out, moment by moment, we can turn to Scripture and we can find things that hit us uh, right where we are and help us to be better people. Lord, money is a touchy topic, and uh, many preachers have made such a mess of this topic that it is difficult for someone like me to go near it. But God, you talk about money a lot, and it's something that we uh, need to uh, do honest, honesty with. Uh, In the Word of God. Lord, may my motives uh, not only be pure but come across that way. And God, use the sermon this morning to move in the hearts of your people. May we stop white knuckling our wallets. Lord, may we start looking at where we spend our money. And Lord, may we consider the eternal souls that are destined for hell uh, if we don't uh, do our part to see these people reached. Lord, help us to both give and go. Lord, be with us this morning as we look at the Bible. May God's Word pierce our hearts. May we leave here changed in Jesus' name, Amen. amen. You may be seated. Well, we know that First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus were written by Paul the Apostle, and they are called the pastoral epistles. They were instructions on how pastors are to do their job. Uh, in college, I took a class that uh, was strictly on First and Second Timothy and titus and we went verse by verse and we broke these books down and it was a manual of how to be a pastor and here we find in first timothy chapter six paul telling timothy how to talk to people in his church who had great money look back at verse 17 there verse 17 says charge them that are rich in this world paul tells timothy when you pastor your church Find the people who have wealth within your church and charge them. Charge them. Now, that doesn't mean that you show up with a a um uh with, with a bill and you charge them it doesn't mean uh that you charge at them and tackle them all right and and take all their money that's not what the, that word charge means uh oftentimes when we hear the word charge you may think of a high school pep rally or maybe a nonprofit fundraiser event someone gets up and boy they've got a big flamboyant personality and they're excited and and they get everyone excited and and riled up and uh, let's go get out there and let's Let's go get them. And, and they, they, they charge up the crowd. Well, that's not what the word charge here means either. In fact, uh, the same word translated into our English Bible as charge in verse 17 here most commonly is, uh, is translated into the word command in the rest of the New Testament. In fact, every other place you find this Greek word, it is translated as command. And uh, here it's translated to, into the word Charged. Now, so, uh, you could read verse 17 to say, command them that are rich in this world. Command them. Notice Paul says, look back at the verse, notice Paul says, that are rich in this world. Rich in this world. Uh, there are those who have uh, an awful lot of money. They have an excess of earthly wealth. Uh, or uh, those who are consumed with compiling Earthly treasures. Maybe you are one such person. You have some money in the bank. You have some money in savings. You have money in a retirement account. Uh, You have money in a brokerage account. Uh, You have uh, extra wealth. You have been able to buy the comforts that you want in life and you have excess after that. And listen, if you are smart, then you are skeptical toward anyone who is pleading or asking for your money, because everyone out there wants your money. You ever watch TV? All these commercials on TV? What does every commercial want to do? They want to reach into your pocket and take your money. Buy our new car. Buy our new truck. Buy our teeth whitening product. Buy our insurance. Right? On and on. Eat at our restaurant. Give Give us your money. Then you come to the church and the pastor says, "Give us your money." And you think everyone is after my money. Everyone is after my money. And if you have money, listen up. If you have money in the bank, it is most likely because you have worked hard and you are disciplined. You know how to see a scam coming. You know how to see uh, you know how to say no. You know how to avoid wasting your money on things, you have lived a disciplined life. Now, uh, there are a handful of ways of which people accrue great wealth. One of them is through heart. The best way is through hard work and disciplined behavior. I greatly appreciate someone who works hard and earns every dime they get. Uh, they don't cheat. They don't steal. Uh, they don't... Uh, use some sort of sly means. They go to work. They put in the work. They earn the check. They say no to things that are convenient at the moment. Uh, they know how to invest their money. They know how to gain their money. Uh, they are wise in the way they use their money. They have accrued wealth, and they have done it the old fashion way. But then there are other ways by which people gain great wealth. And sometimes, and I'm not putting these down per se, uh, but sometimes people gain great wealth uh, by receiving a large inheritance. And maybe you've gained wealth that way. You've had a parent pass or some loved one pass and uh, you've received a check um, uh, uh, in the mail uh, uh, through uh, uh, this means. And so you came into a large Inheritance. Other ways people gain uh, riches are through some large payday, right? A publisher's clearinghouse showing up and knocking on your door. And, of course, if for this to work, you have to be in your pajamas and you have to have bed hair, right? And you have to scream at the top of your lungs, ah! All right, I got this check here. It is, and and uh, and then you know they put you on TV, and uh, maybe the, the other ways people come into a large payday is they win the lottery. They win the lottery, and these large, I I, I have I've always been blown away by this. Right, someone wins a, a payday of three hundred eighty-five million dollars, and. What do you? Do? Well, the government takes half of it. But then, what do you do after you get all that money? Or you'll hear people who have, you know, ten thousand dollars a month for the rest of their life, and. Uh, you'll wonder uh, about folks that come into money like this. Maybe you have your money invested, as I mentioned a moment ago, in a high-risk uh, account there in the stock market. And all of a sudden, there's a sudden spike in the stock market. That's not happening right now. But there's a sudden spike in the stock market. And all of a sudden, you invested $10,000, but now you've got twenty-five dollars or $30,000. Uh, maybe you've made real estate investments and the real estate market took off and you gained great wealth that way. The reality is, there are, uh, there are many very rich people that live here in this great country. Um, according to Fortune.com, these numbers blew, blew me away. According to Fortune.com, in 2021, there were approximately 7.5 million millionaires in the U.S. of A. 7.5 million millionaires in the U.S. of A. According to multiple sources... Uh, In um, in 2021, there were approximately 5.6 million Americans with $3 million or more in bank accounts. 5.6 million Americans with $3 million. You say, well, I'm not one of those Americans. Well, all right. Amen. Um, This number especially is is, uh, staggering. According to multiple sources, and multiple sources are probably all pulling from the same source, in 2021, there were 724 billionaires. Billion. You know how much money a billion dollars is? That's, let's see, what is that, a thousand, a million million? Is that what that is? That's a, I don't know. That's a lot of money. That's more money than I'm able to comprehend, right? Um, I'm not smart enough to tell you how much a billion dollars is, but I know that's a bunch of zeros behind a one, right? Uh, So, a billion, 724 billionaires in this country. Now, even if you are not a millionaire, please hear what I'm about to say. This is a key part of the message. Even if you are not a millionaire, but you have some money in a savings account, you own your own home, and you can pay your monthly bills, then you are rich compared to the rest of the world. You are rich compared to most of the rest of the world. You say, well, I'm not a millionaire. Well, I'm not either. I'm definitely not a billionaire. Okay, well, I don't know that we have any billionaires that go to this church. I don't, I don't believe, looking at the tithing statements, that we have any billionaires <laughs> in this church. Lord, send us a billionaire. Amen. One of those 724. Um, but I know this. I've been to impoverished parts of this country and world. Most all of us in here, compared to them, we're rich. We're rich. That word rich is relative. It's relative. We all can find people that make us all in here look poor. We sure can find most people that make us look quite wealthy. Turn your Bibles over to Proverbs 28. Let's look at a handful of verses in Proverbs by way of introduction here. Paul told Timothy, he said, Charge them, command them. Demand of them some things that are rich in this world. It is, is it sinful to have earthly wealth? No. It is not a sin to have earthly wealth. In fact, God can be the provider of such earthly riches. Look at Proverbs 28. Look at verse 19. The Bible says, He that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread. Plenty of bread. And the word bread there is a symbol of wealth. Plenty of bread. Plenty of wealth. But he that followeth after vain persons shall have poverty enough. You follow the wrong crowd and you follow bad habits and bad habits within the wrong crowd. You're going to find yourself in a poverty uh, if you working hard, you're tilling your land, you're sowing the seed of hard work and a good work ethic, you're going to have plenty of bread, plenty of wealth. Look at Proverbs 13 and verse 22. Proverbs 13, verse 22. The Bible says there, A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. And the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. So according to this verse, Solomon says, You should accrue enough wealth in your lifetime to not only leave your children with an inheritance, but your grandchildren with an inheritance as well. If you die penniless, that would be quite hard to do. And so here we are commanded... That we are to be disciplined enough in our behavior and practices and in our work ethic that we have enough money set aside to be able to leave some for our children and our grandchildren. Look at Proverbs 21 and verse 20. It is not a sin to have earthly wealth. It is absolutely not a sin. Look at Proverbs 21 and look at verse number 20. There is treasure to be desired, and oil, again, oil a sign of wealth, oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. I just want to say this right here. Many times, people are poor, not because of the the lack of income, but because of a lack of discipline with their income. We have plenty of money coming in. We just don't know how to use it. Right? I gave the stat two weeks ago that the average U.S. family eats out 5.9 times per week. Do you know how much more expensive it is to eat out than stay home and eat? Now, if you eat off the dollar menu at McDonald's, maybe you can get away with that. I don't recommend that. I really don't. Okay? McDonald's gets bagged on by everybody, but everybody, just about everybody eats at McDonald's. All right? We all pretend like it's terrible, but then we all. How many of you like McDonald's French fries? Don't lie. You're in church, tell the truth. You like McDonald's French fries? Okay. Um, by the way, McDonald's has great coffee. How many of you agree with that statement? Great coffee. How many of you think that McDonald's coffee is just horrible? Okay. Well, again, you can get your heart right with God at the end of the service, okay? <laughs> It's usually not a problem with our income. It's a problem with how we utilize our income. We waste it. We waste it. Waste it on things that are just vain. I said last week that we spend our money on our wants and then we worry about how our needs are going to get met. Why do wise people generally over a period of a lifetime end up wealthy? Because they know how to handle their income. We have examples throughout the Bible of people who were rich in this world and rich in heaven. And God blessed them and used them. Let me give you some Old Testament examples here. Abraham was very, very, very wealthy. And he was wealthy when God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. But you know what? Through Abraham's life, he was not just wealthy on earth. His focus also was in heaven and gaining wealth in heaven. How about Job? Satan calls Job in and says, hey, look at my servant Job. Right? He's perfect, meaning complete or mature. He, he, he eschews or hates evil. He walks before me in, in righteousness and truth. And the devil goes, well, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't? He's one of the wealthiest guys walking planet Earth. He's got all the money a person could want. And um, God says, well, that's not the reason why he loves me. And Job says, I think it is. Or rather, Satan says, I think it is. And God says, okay, well, you can take all that away from him, just don't touch his health. Sure enough, Satan drops fire out of heaven and destroys part of his uh, uh, wealth through his uh, cattle and and then others of it is stolen, and then his ten children are killed. And the Bible says, in all this, Job blasphemed not. In all this, Job worshipped the Lord. Job said, naked I came into this world, and naked will I depart. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He didn't curse God. Job had earthly wealth. But Job was not just wealthy on earth. Job's attention Was in heaven. Is it possible to be wealthy on earth and still be rich toward God in heaven? And the answer is yes. How about King David? King David uh, was in love with God and investing in heavenly treasures, and as a result, God gave him great earthly wealth. And then I'll give you one New Testament example, and that is Joseph, who's surnamed. Barnabas, in Acts chapter 6, he was a man of great wealth. He sold many of his properties and he gave the uh, sell of the properties to the church so that money could be used to be distributed amongst the poor. And they nicknamed him, as a result, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement or son of consolation. He gave up some of his earthly wealth in order to invest in his eternal wealth. Now, it is not a sin to be rich in this world. But it is a dangerous way to live your Christian life. It is very difficult for the average Joe or average Jane to both be rich in this earth and be rich in heaven. Very, very few are able to do it. Very few are able to do it. Paul says to be wealthy brings about its own set of temptations and struggles. Many people think that all of life's problems would just simply vanish if they could have earthly wealth. But time and time again, this has been proven to be quite false. The reality is that God does not give great wealth to those who are selfish. You listening? If God views you to be selfish, He's not going to give you great earthly wealth. Because He knows that you will use it for your own comfort and your own being, you're not going to use it the way he so chooses. You say, well, then why do people still get wealthy that don't love God? And the answer is because Satan blesses them with wealth. Did you ever stop and think that sometimes someone is wealthy because Satan has rained that down on them? Satan uses riches as a way to pull people away from God. It is one of His greatest tools. He gets people chasing money. When they're chasing money, they're not chasing the Lord. God blesses people who have a giving heart towards the eternal kingdom. God blesses people with great wealth so that money can be used accordingly. Matthew chapter 6, where we began this series, Jesus said, "...Ye cannot, it is impossible." Ye cannot serve, finish it with me now, God and mammon. Mammon means money. You cannot serve God and money. So we're going to look at two overarching truths this morning out of 1 Timothy 6 as we look at this title, charge or command those who are rich in this world. Number one, here we go. Number one, love of money leads me to, letter A, covetousness and destruction. Covetousness and destruction look down at first timothy six with me go back there and we're going to read verse nine and ten and we're going to see the grave warning that paul gives to timothy to give to those in his church who are rich in this world's goods look at verse nine but they that will be rich look here fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which "...drown men in destruction and perdition, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted, there's that covetousness, coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows." There's a whole lot to unpack from these two verses, but I would like to focus your attention on three descriptive words found in these two verses. Look at first in verse 9. Notice the word snare. Snare. Circle that word in your Bible if you are in the habit of marking. Circle or highlight or underline. Look at the word snare. Look back at verse 9. But they which fall into temptation and a snare. A snare. Uh, This word snare means this. It means to entrap or entangle. Entrap or entangle. Those who have earthly riches end up entrapped or entangled in Satan uh, in Satan's great plan to destroy. Satan has many traps baited with things that appease our flesh. Um, turn, turn in your Bibles over to Luke chapter 5. Hold your place in 1 Timothy 6. Um, many people who are rich in this world's goods are wrapped up in many of Satan's lies and are on a path of destruction. I want you to imagine that you have... A, an animal, and he's wandering through the woods, and he happens upon a, a, a net. And all of a sudden, he steps in the net, and it's pressure sensitive, and the net wraps up that animal and pulls him up in the air, and that animal can go nowhere, Scooby-Doo style. How many you remember Scooby-Doo, right? You're walking through the woods, and so up you go, Okay. And that's what Satan has for us. He has many traps laid, and as we walk around life's path, he is trying to keep us from doing God's plan for our life. He is trying to keep us from accomplishing God's great will. For us, what he desires for us, and one of those traps is a distraction into falling in love with money. You're walking along and all of a sudden you fall in love with money and you have fallen for one of Satan's snares, his traps, and you've been caught up and you have been pulled. Oh, wait. Uh, there's another word in First Timothy 6, and it is the word drown. Drown. It says in verse 9, it says, uh, which. Let's see. But they which be rich, fall into temptation and snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts. Listen here. Which drown men in destruction and perdition. I, I have thought about, and I'm sure we've all had this, this thought, what would be the worst possible way to die? All right. How many of you have thought about that at some point? What would be the worst possible? Possible way to die. And I, I have thought, and, and not torturous ways, I mean just common ways that people die. And I, for me, I think it would be dying in a burning house. That'd probably be the worst way. I would hate to have to die being burned to death. Um, but on the list somewhere is the idea of drowning to death, right? Being lost at sea and, and, and losing the ability to, to keep yourself afloat and then your lungs filling up with water. and and you suffocating to death, that would be a terrible, terrible way to go. And here, Paul says what wealth does is it drowns men in destruction and perdition. Well, I did some digging. What does that word drown mean? The same root word translated drown in 1 Timothy 6 is translated sunk in Luke chapter 5. Look at Luke 5, and let's look at verse 4. The Bible says, And when he, Jesus, had left speaking, he said unto Simon, this is Peter, Simon Peter, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a drought. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night, and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Verse 6, And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, that would be James and John, they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. Look here. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. The word sink here is the same root word translated drown back in 1 Timothy 6-9. What happens is we take on all this wealth and it morally drowns us. It weighs us down. It begins to cause us to morally sink. Why? We have a false view of money. We think the more of it that we have, the easier our lives will be. Actually, the opposite is true. Psychologists have studied this, and they say once you have reached $820,000 in income, you are no longer able to gain more joy or more happiness by gaining more income. You reach a point of saturation where that no longer applies. And uh, listen, this isn't Bible uh, scholars saying this. These are people who are money minds that have said this. And there reaches a point where you have so much income where uh, you cannot buy yourself more happiness. You cannot gain more happiness. You've reached that saturation level, and then you begin to feel lonely and isolated, and, 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 and you begin to feel a different set of struggles. Many lottery winners who cash out on a large payday and the hundreds of millions of dollars end up penniless and broken just a few years later. How many of you have seen documentaries about this on TV? People that come into all this money. And I've always wondered, how do you take $300 million and end up broke five years later? How do you do that? You say, well, I'll say, I don't know, but it happens a lot. Happens a lot. Not only do these um, lottery winners, many of them end up penniless and not all of them. I know there are plenty of success stories. Many of them end up penniless and broken. But many of them also not only lose their money, but they lose their marriages. They lose their relationships with their children and or their parents. Some have even committed suicide. What should have been the happiest day in their life set them up with generational wealth ends up leading them to suicide. Back in the 60s, there was a lady who won a lottery, and she won $400 a week for the rest of her life. Now, today, that's not necessarily a lot of money, but in the 60s, that was a lot more money than it is now. And she said, she told a media outlet sometime later, she said, I have found out I had relatives I didn't know existed. She said, "Everyone calls me. She said, "I have turned into a hermit. I don't want to go out. I isolate." She said, "I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy." Why does this happen? Why does this happen when people come into great wealth very quickly? Proverbs 13:11 says this. It says, "Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished. but he that gathereth by labor shall increase." I don't know who needs to hear me say this this morning, but someone in this room or watching online needs to hear me say this. Quit looking for the next get-rich-quick scheme. Knock it off. It's not necessary. I remember I was working a truck dock job in college, and boy, it was hard, hard work. Out in the Chicago cold, uh, there were days I was working in uh, below-zero weather, up to 15 and 20 below zero and wearing multiple layers and, 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 and just freezing and, and working an hour from the campus and, and and not getting a lot of sleep. I was sleep deprived and I found something online that said uh, all you got to do is mail out uh, all uh, these letters for this company and for every letter you mail out you're going to get X amount of money. And I began to do the math and calculate and I thought boy I can rake in well over $100,000 a year with just a few hours a week today. Well, I began to look into it and realize the whole thing was a scam. And you know what? I just about fell for it and ended up giving them some of my personal information and money to get enrolled and quit looking for the next get-rich-quick scheme. Listen, labor, let me read Proverbs 13 11 again. Listen closely. Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished. Proverbs 28, 20 says this, a faithful man shall abound with blessings. But he that maketh haste To be rich shall not be innocent. Why is this true? Write this word down uh, in your notes there. The problem here is, here's the word, greed. It's greed. The love of money will weigh you down like a sinking ship and ruin your entire life. The Bible says great riches can be a snare... The Bible says great riches cause you to drown. Go back to 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. There's one more descriptor here. One more word that's a descriptor. Look at 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. Look here, and pierced. There's the word. We've seen snare. We've seen drown. Notice the word pierced. Pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Many people are worshiping the false god of money. They have done their best to love God and love money simultaneously, but when push comes to shove and they are required to choose one, they end up choosing money. As a result, they miss God's plan for their life. They miss out on a marriage or maybe end up marrying the wrong person they, make, they might end up choosing the wrong career. Uh, greed has their heart instead of God. And as a result, they pierce themselves through with many sorrows. There's a missionary to Monterey, Mexico named Tommy Ashcraft. Tommy Ashcraft has been a successful missionary in Mexico for well over 40 years. Weekly in attendance, their uh, church has in the several hundreds, if not well over a thousand folks every Sunday in church. They have a Bible college where they train missionaries, and uh, they send out missionaries all over the world from their ministry there in Monterey, Mexico. Brother Ashcraft tells the story about life, his life in the late, his late teens and early 20s. Back in the early 70s, Tommy had a friend who had a very flamboyant and large personality, and Tommy's friend drove a fancy sports car, and Tommy's friend was a great Bible preacher. And Tommy's friend in the 70s, uh, or in the 70s, there had such a charismatic personality that he would drive around and he would gather a crowd and he would preach and people would get saved. And so Tommy and his friend, uh, word spread about his friend, and uh, meetings began to get set up all over uh, the uh, region. That summer and Tommy rode with his friend in this fancy sports car and they would go from meeting to meeting to meeting where he would preach to teenagers and preach to young adults and they saw lots of people saved, anyone that knew Tommy's friend knew that God had put a special gift on him to call him to be a preacher. Well, in their travels uh, around that summer, Tommy and his friend decided they were going to go off to Bible college in the fall. And so that fall, uh, Tommy had enrolled and he showed up on the college campus and he went through the registration line and he looked for his friend and his friend hadn't showed up. And so he found a phone and he called his friend and said, Hey, I'm here at college, where are you? His buddy said, well, I right before I was packing my things and getting ready to go, and right before I left, I got a call and I got an offer to be an insurance salesman. And he said, I decided to stay back and accept the position. He said, I'm going to earn some money, and um, I'll be there next fall. I'll be there next fall. Well, I've been through Bible college. When someone says they're going to be there next fall, they ain't going to be there next fall. That's just not how that works. Right? Sure enough, next fall came and he looked around the registration line and Tommy's friend was not there. He called him on the phone again and said, Hey, you, you coming to college or what? I mean, we're going to be preachers together. We're supposed to go through this together. And Tommy's friend said to him, He said, Well, I got promoted within the company and I, uh, I, I just, I'll be there next fall. Well, Tommy's friend never showed up to college. Tommy and his friend parted ways. Tommy went on to Monterey, Mexico to be a very successful missionary. Tommy's friend began to climb the corporate ladder. In time, Tommy would have a large church ministry that he would oversee. Tommy's friend would become an executive within this insurance company. He would have a corner office and plush furniture and... Uh, nice vehicle, and all of the things that the world would deem successful, his office being way up in a skyscraper in the Nashville area. Decades went by. About 10 years ago, Tommy was back in the States preaching a missions conference for a church in the Nashville area. A mutual friend of Tommy and this guy gave Tommy the number to that Old friend of his. And Tommy called his old friend's cell phone. And his old friend said, Hey, I would love to see you. Can you stop by my office? And so Tommy uh, went uh, into the skyscraper and took the ladder up to the executive floor. And before he knew it, he was sitting in a plush chair in this corner office. And Uh, his friend came out of a meeting and walked in and sat behind a very expensive desk, ornate furniture everywhere, and all of the markers of earthly success this man had gained. And he sat there and they began to talk. and, And Tommy's friend said to him, he said, tell me about yourself. Did you ever get married? He said, yes, I got married. And and God gave me a beautiful wife and he's given me beautiful children and, and my children have grown up and now they're back serving the Lord with me in my ministry there in Monterey and 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 tell me about your ministry tell me about uh, what's going on there in Monterey and he, he told them all about it and his friend sitting behind this desk this executive he's he's hanging on every word he's listening intently to all of what Tommy has to say and, and Tommy would ask his friend a question about his life and and it was uh, a quick short uh, generic answer right back into Tommy's life and he wanted to know about Tommy, and after an hour of conversing about all going on in Tommy's life, Tommy looked his friend in the eye and he said, Now it's time for us to talk about you. What's going on in your life? Did you ever marry? Do you have kids? Do you have grandkids? And and, and clearly, you have made a success of yourself as an insurance salesman. Tell me about your life. And the man put his head down. He said, Yeah, I married, and I have kids. He said, you know God called me to be a preacher. I know God called me to be a preacher. He said, instead, I chased money. He said, I'm divorced. My wife wants nothing to do with me. I have very little relationship with my children and grandchildren. He said, my life is not happy. I have all of the things, but I don't have happiness. Then he looked across the desk at Tommy. and He said to Brother Ashcraft, he said, I would trade places with you in a heartbeat. I would trade places with you in a heartbeat. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through. With many sorrows. Now listen up here to me. Well, I want to make some things very clear, what I am and am not saying. It is not a sin to be an insurance salesman. It is not God's calling on everyone to be a missionary. I am not trying to sit here and say that everyone has to go to the mission field and it is not and it is a sin for a people to become rich in the insurance world. That is not what I am saying. But what I am saying is this it is a sin to make money your master. It is a sin to make money king at the cost of serving God. The love of money leads me to covetousness and destruction. Letter B, the love of money leads, to, leads me to class warfare. Leads me to class warfare. Look at 1 Timothy 6 and look at verse number 17. 1 Timothy six seventeen. The Bible says, Charge them, command them that are rich in this world... That they be not high-minded. Alright? Don't be stuck up. Someone said, you're so stuck up that if it rained, you'd probably drown. Right? Don't be stuck up. Don't be high-minded. Look here. Nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. It amazes me how stuck up people can be. Not only does it amaze me, it disgusts me. Makes me sick. Who do you think you are to act like you're better than someone else? You say, oh, well, I don't do that. Well, we're going to get to that in a minute. Because I think a whole lot more of us do it than we realize. You know, people who have or believe they have a gift or a talent can be quite smug. When I was in college, we had singing tour groups. And these tour groups have traveled all over America, and they represent the college. We sometimes have those groups here to sing for us. And they're a blessing. They, they, they are enjoyable. But can I tell you that not all of them, some of those kids who got picked to be on the tour group, they walked around, and they were up here, and then there were all the other little people below them. Oh, look at them. They sing for the college. You're just a little nobody nothing. You can't carry a tune in a bucket. Why are people so smug? Folks who um, are athletic, right? Just because you can dunk a basketball does not make you better than anybody else. Amen? Just because you can throw a, a piece of leather around a football field and for some odd reason get paid millions of dollars to do it, you say, ah, you know what, what cracks me up is people complain about how much money athletes make but then they tune in and watch them play. Do you understand when you watch them play, you are helping them make millions of dollars, right? That's, that's a whole other point. But people who do that, they just act like they're better than everybody. How about people who are smart?
1: Oh, they
0: can be quite arrogant. Very arrogant. Um, you ever, ever meet a college professor? Right? They just kind of talk down to you like you're, like you're stupid, like you don't know anything. How about people with big vocabularies? I, uh, I'll, I'll, take a, a, I'll take a pause here and pick on myself. My dad has the largest vocabulary of anyone I know. If you ever meet my dad um, and you are someone with a big vocabulary, my dad is a word nerd. He he memorizes a new big word every day, all right? Uh, He just loves it. He got got that from my grandmother. I didn't get that gift, all right? Sometimes I try to use big words, and it's not the right word. And some of you here who are very smart think, hey, just stop trying, all right? Hey, look, public speaking is harder than you know, all right? Um, But people who use big words and are very smart... Just because God gave you a higher IQ than someone else, look at me. God does not love you more than he loves them. We're all equal in the side of God. But I don't find just gifted, talented people and smart people to be arrogant. I find people who have money, they can be quite high-minded. Listen, now if you gathered your wealth through good old-fashioned hard work, then you may very likely feel the temptation to look down on others who are less disciplined and as hardworking as you are. Let's all be honest this morning. You ever pulled up to a traffic light and seen someone there with a homeless sign and and judged them? I have. I pulled up once and I was in Wallingford and went to Chick-fil-A. Amen for Chick-fil-A. Can't wait for them to put one around here. When they do, deacons all need a raise. Amen. (laughs) Um, Pulling out of the Chick-fil-A drive-thru there in Wallingford, and if you know where that is, there's a Lowe's and a Home Depot right across the street from each other. Lowe's and Home Depot had now hiring signs up. Guy standing there with a sign. No work. Any help appreciated. I thought what you would have thought. Hey, man, they're hiring and they're hiring. What are you asking me for my money for? You know what that is? That's me being high-minded. It's Me being high-minded. You know what? If people would be more disciplined, they wouldn't have to come ask me for my money. And I don't think we should enable. That's a whole other subject. Let me just say, class warfare is a real thing. Are you guilty of class warfare? It's quite possible. All right, let me draw up a scenario for you right here. All right? right, The only way this works is if you are honest with yourself. After church this morning, you're out in the lobby, you're shaking hands, and someone walks up to you. Now, let me, let me just lay out a couple of conditions. Number one, you have the time. Number two, you would have the desire. Okay? And number three... Um, you, are, uh, you are up for this kind of thing, all right? So all those things are in place. We're assuming those three things. Someone, wa- someone approaches you after church this morning and they ask you to go out to lunch with them, all right? They just walk up to you. Hey, can I go out to lunch with you? Again, you have the time and you have the desire and this person walks up to you and says, can I go out to lunch with you? Let's say that you do have the time and you do have the availability, what's the very first thing you do before you answer the question? You analyze the person asking you then make a decision. If they stink and it looks like they haven't washed their clothes and it looks like their hair's a mess and they're homeless, you might go, uh, you know what? Uh, I got some other plans. Maybe another time we can. You know what that is? That's you being high-minded. The couple walked up and asked you, and boy, they are dressed to the hilt and they look sharp. You think, yeah, let's go. And all secretly in your mind, you're thinking, maybe they'll pay for the whole thing. <laughs> are you high-minded? What do you think about people when you ride around Bridgeport, New Haven? You see people that live with less income than you do. We have folks from Bridgeport here. What do you think when you see them? You see, you have to understand that people who live in Westport and New Canaan and Greenwich, when they ride around Milford and Stratford, they probably think the same thing of you that you think of the people who live in Bridgeport. We get all flustered when people who live in some mansion in New Canaan look down on us. But are we guilty of the same thing? God is no respecter of persons. Here's what we have to realize. That wealth that you have, that source of income that you have, that lifestyle that you're able to support is a gift by the grace of God and you don't deserve it. And he can take it away from you any time he wants. If Job can go from being one of the richest men walking planet Earth to being penniless in just minutes, you think God can't take your wealth away? You think he can't disappear like that? Class warfare. You see, when we love money, we fall into the trap of covetousness and destruction. We fall in the trap of class warfare. Number one, the love of money leads me to covetousness, destruction, and class warfare. Number two, love of the master leads me to letter A, trust in the living God. Love of the master leads me to letter A, trust in the living God. Look at First Timothy 6 in verse 17. Charge them. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. Look at the rest of the verse here. Nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. If you truly believe that God is the one who provides for your needs, then you will prioritize Him over money. I get so tickled over people who say, Pastor, I won't be in church this Sunday. I've got to work. Well, what, what... hold on, wait, now I get people at different points in their maturity in their Christian life, but can we just stop for a minute and analyze that rationale, All right. What you're saying is I need to put work ahead of church because work is where I get my money, and me gaining my money is more important than me being obedient to God. Who gave you the job to get the money. God did. So why would you disobey God to get money? Can I tell you why people do that? Because their faith is not in God to provide their riches. Their faith is in themselves Amen. to provide that riches. I, I, I have never, ever taken a job that's worked me on Sundays. You, you say, well, you're working right now. You're the pastor. You get paid to be our pastor. Quit overanalyzing it. Amen? <laughs> Just knock it off. That's nothing to do with it. Alright? Outside of church work, I've never taken a job that's worked me on Sunday. Not once. I've been offered, I've been in a pinch where I needed to take the job, and I turned it down and said, God, I'm going to be obedient to you, and I'm going to trust you to provide. My faith is not in uncertain riches that can be taken away in a moment's notice. My faith, your faith, our faith needs to be in the living God. Here's the reality. The money in my bank account to my name is not mine. The home I live in is not mine. The relationships that I have are not mine. The job that I work is not mine. The material goods that are attached to my name, they are not actually mine. All these things and all these people that I enjoy belong to God in heaven. And He has every right to take anything away from me anytime He so chooses. And when He does so, look up here... He does not owe me an explanation. He does not owe me an explanation. We have this false view that I am here and God and everything else revolves around me. And when God does not serve me, then you know what? I get angry at God. I want you to imagine that someone shows up at your house tomorrow, knocks on your door. You open the door. And they don't say a word. They just hand you a $100 bill. They turn around and walk away. You look at the $100 bill, you look at them and go, All right. <laughs> and then for the next 30 days, like clockwork, every day at the same time, they knock on your door, they hand you a $100 bill, and they don't say a word, and they turn around and walk away. Boy, by day 28, 29, 30, you are standing at the door waiting for them. And then on day 31, they go to your neighbor's door and they knock on the door, and they give the $100 to them. You know what you'd be tempted to say? Hey, that's my $100! Listen, God gives us so many blessings, He's not obligated to give us, and if at any moment He stops, He does not owe us an explanation. He does not owe us an explanation. You see, if I'm trusting God to take care of my needs then my faith does not lie in me. My faith lies in God. And I understand that I am not the owner of my relationships and my material goods and the money that buys them. He is the owner and now I will become obedient to Him to give back to Him anything He so desires. Are you relying on God to provide for your needs and wants? Or are you relying on some plush bank account? Or are you relying on some source of income? Or are you relying on some credit card? Our trust should be in the living God. Love of the Master leads to letter A, trust in the living God. Love of the Master leads to letter B, a testimony of good works. Now, this is where the rubber hits the road. Here's where we get into the practical of the living of how God wants us to use our money to further His kingdom. Look at verse 17 and 18. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, which giveth us richly all things to enjoy that they do good, that they be rich in good works. We're going to look at the rest of the verse in just a moment. All month long, we're asking this question, are you rich toward God? Not are you rich on earth, but are you rich toward God? How does one who has been gifted with earthly wealth exchange that money from earthly treasures to eternal riches? Well, I'm glad you asked. When I go to Peru to visit my wife's family, I go with U.S. dollars in my pocket. I land in the airport there, Jorge Chavez Airport in Lima. I get off the plane. I walk down, uh, uh, go down the escalator. And right there by the exit, there is a person whose job is to exchange money, uh, from dollars to Peruvian soles. You know why? Because my dollars aren't really any good in another country. I have to get. Peruvian dollars for me to be able to have buying power. Some of you are going to show up in heaven one day with your all your money and God's going to go, wait a minute, whoa, hold on. That's no good up here. Right? You heard the story about the guy who had worked his whole life and he had bought invested his money in, in precious treasures. He had bought all these gold bricks and uh, his, he just cherished these gold bricks. He went to God in prayer and he said, Lord, I'm, I'm getting close to death. And, and I want to take these gold bricks to heaven with me. And God said to him, he said, well, you know, we don't let people bring things from the earth into heaven. And he begged and pleaded and begged and pleaded. And, and, and finally God said, okay, I'll make one exception. You can bring those gold bricks into heaven. How many of you heard this before? Anybody here heard this? Good, I got you all. Joe's, I probably told Joe this story, so he's the only one who raised his hand. Um, listen, so the man dies, takes his suitcase with all his gold bricks, He gets into heaven, and the angel stops him and says, you're not allowed, you can't bring that in here. He said, whoa, hold on, I have special permission from God himself to bring this in here. Well, the angel says, hold on, stop, open it up, let me see what's inside. He opens it up, the angel looks at it, he's very confused. He said, why would you bring paving material into heaven? Why would you bring, the streets are paved out of that stuff here. Why, why would you bring that up here? You see, the things that we value on earth aren't going to matter in heaven. And in heaven is where we're going to spend eternity. So how do I take the gold I have on earth and exchange it to where I have great worth and great value in heaven? Well, here's how we do it. Here's how we do it. Notice first, we need to be ready to distribute. Ready to distribute not my words the words of God's word look at verse 18 the words of the bible they that they do good that they be rich in good works ready to distribute again this money is not mine it is the lord's that's a major paradigm shift that we all need to get around i i don't own Any money. I have money that I oversee. I have money that I steward. But all of the money... That I call mine is the Lord's and I am looking after it on His behalf. That's a major, major shift of perspective and thought. Pastor of your local church shares a need within the church body. We have a family who can't pay their electric bill. Or we have a family who can't make their rent payment. Or we have a family who doesn't have any groceries. We have a need uh, over here that we want to help with. and uh, We have a family whose house was flooded and they need some help. Uh, uh, Listen, the church wants to give in order to be a blessing. We have a benevolence fund and you hear about this need and you reach into the wealth that God's given you and you're ready to distribute. You're ready to give so that that need can't be met. Uh, pastor shares about a building project uh, that needs financial aid. And by the way, we're getting ready uh, to announce some building projects in the next handful of months, some things around here we want to improve. And that gets announced, and you think to yourself, I need to be ready to distribute. I need to take the, the the paving material of heaven that I have, and I need to exchange it so that when I get to heaven, I have wealth in heaven. And so you take and you give generously to the building pro, pro, uh, project. pastor shares about a need of one of our missionaries on the field. And uh, then you're ready to open up your pocketbook and give accordingly. Not out of uh, money you would use to pay your bills, but out of the excess that God has given you. Now, I just have this theory uh, that I really think might just be true. Here's the theory. If some of you would get on your knees this afternoon and say to God, Lord, if you'll give me a raise at work, I will take a percentage of that raise and I will give it all to your kingdom. I think maybe God would give some of you a raise at work over the next 12 months. You think God's capable of that? You know why God doesn't always give us more? Because He knows we're selfish and we're going to keep it all for ourselves. But if our thinking would shift and we would say, God, listen, I have money to pay my bills. I don't have a lot left over. But if you would increase my income, I promise to take... X amount percent of that and give it to your work. Well, you might be amazed how God just starts funneling money, right, channeling money right through you. To his work. No one here is saying that you need to starve. No one here is saying that you need to forego a bill. No one is saying here that you need to give money that you don't have or money that is designated elsewhere. But why can't we call on the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills and say, "Channel money through me, and I will fund the gospel program here on planet Earth, ready to distribute." How else do we? Transfer our earthly wealth into heavenly riches. Here we go. Be willing to communicate. Look at 1 Timothy 6, verse 18. Be willing to communicate. The Bible says that they do good work, that they be rich in good works, ready, to distribute, willing to communicate. I don't have the time this morning to completely develop this thought. Another time in another sermon I will. But it is my opinion that, uh, that the church should be, and, and there's reasons why it's not culturally and within the structure of our tax system, the church should be the go-to for people when they have a financial need within a community. I think you look at Acts chapter 6, the poor were helped not by the government, the poor were helped by the church. Now, what happens when the poor get helped at the church instead of the government? Well, now you have a local church body that can meet with those who have financial struggles, and you not only help them with their bills, you teach them life responsibility to know how to pay their own bills. Instead of giving out fish, we teach fit, teach how to fish. Here's where judgmentalism and hypocrisy play a, a big role in how we work. We throw stones at the guy who's you know, begging for money and having a hard time paying his bills. But when was the last time you made yourself available to sit with someone and teach them how to make a living? You understand there are people in this world that did not have a mom and dad to teach them what your parents taught you? You understand there's some people in this world that are broken and need someone to come along their side and communicate how to fix this? What if White Oak Baptist Church had five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten folks? In it, who said, you know what, Pastor, God's gifted me with the ability to make money and be disciplined with it. I will be a financial counselor to a family who is struggling. Willing to communicate. Willing to communicate. I will take those who are struggling, and I will put my arm around them, and I will teach them. Lastly, notice laying an eternal foundation. Verse 19, the Bible says that they do good, that they be rich in good works. Brother 18, Ready to, communicate, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Look at 19. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against this time to come. That they may lay hold on eternal life. All this verse means is that people are hyper-focused on their quality of life in heaven. Earthly riches are nothing more than a tool. A tool that we use to build the kingdom of God and build up our own personal wealth in heaven. I want to finish the sermon with the question that is our series. Are you rich? toward God. Are you rich toward God? I didn't ask how much money do you have in your bank account? I asked, are you rich toward God? In January of 1956, Jim Elliot and four other missionaries gave their lives in Ecuador in their effort to reach the uh, the Waodani Akua Indians. This fierce group was known to attack the outsiders. But the vision for reaching them with the gospel compelled these young men to go forward and take the risk. Not long after they set up camp near the Waudoni village, they were attacked by warriors. Many of the men were carrying weapons, but they had decided ahead of time they would not use these weapons to defend their own lives with force. As a result, the missionaries were all killed. The news flashed around the world. And the story of courage and sacrifice challenged many to take up the missionary cause. Even today, Eliot's words live on. Watch this quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool to give that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. In a very real sense, Jim Eliot and the mission, his missionary friends were living the spirit of Christmas. They were willing to give up the comforts of home and promising careers and ultimately lay down their lives to take the gospel to those who had never heard. They could have fought back. They could have defended themselves. But they chose not to. Isn't this what Jesus did for us in coming to earth? Paul wrote, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might be rich nothing of lasting significance and importance for God is ever accomplished without great sacrifice. Whether it's our time, our talents, our treasures, even our very lives, we must be willing to give up what is temporary for the sake of what is eternal. When we do, we are following the example of pattern of Christ and walking in His steps. Again, I ask you, are you rich toward God? What does your eternal bank account look like? Are you rich in good works? Are you ready to distribute? Are you willing to communicate? Are you laying an eternal foundation? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many here today would say, Pastor LeJurn, there was a day and time in my life I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to be my Savior. Because of my faith in Jesus, I know that when I die, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? I know I'm going to heaven someday. I know that. I know that. Because I've put my faith in Jesus. You can put your hands down. If you have not yet made the decision to trust Jesus, listen, I didn't talk about this in my message today. But very simply, you just call on the name of Jesus by faith, knowing that your sin has separated you from God. Your sin has condemned you to hell. You live under a condemnation called a sin curse. Jesus died in your place. When you believe in Jesus as your substitutionary atonement, He forgives your sins and He gives you the gift of eternal life. That's a decision you don't just make with your head. That's a choice by faith you make with your heart. If you've not done that, we would like to help you to do that today to understand how you can make that choice. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ alone, would you just slip up your hand where you are? I don't know. If I were to die, I'd go to heaven. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I don't see any hands. I hope that means that everyone here is a believer. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, God is working in my heart in one way or another. Something that you said in the sermon today, God is using His Spirit to convict Pastor, pray for me that I will make the right choice with what I've heard today. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? God has laid some things on my heart. Pastor, please pray for me. Lord, this morning we do pray you'd work in our hearts. Help us to see these things clearly. Help us to have your mind when it comes to these things. May we not be distracted uh, by living some plush life while we completely forget about heaven. Help us, Lord, uh, to put our attention on you. and on the eternal kingdom in Jesus' name.